When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the bonus with Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head. Powered by Twin Peaks and Canty Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. And welcome in to In the Bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head on your Wednesday morning here in Columbia overlooking a kind of gray Gervais Street this morning. Uh, Colin, I mentioned to you I went up the door this morning and uh, realized I probably should have put on like a long sleeve or like a quarter zip, you know, the, the Lamont Paris special because uh, uh, it finally, finally kind of felt like fall this morning. Baby did it. Uh, these are my kind of days. I'm going to be straight up with you. These are my kind of days, kind of chilly, gray. I'm in my cave. I mean, I'm here for all of it. Like I, I'm here for I, every last bit of it. I don't mind like a slight breeze. I certainly am not like, oh, let's, you know, 40, 50 degrees. Like I want to actually feel warm when I have like the jacket on and not still feel like cold underneath. So like my line for cold is is very high. Like I don't like I don't like too cold. You know what I mean? Oh, see, I'm Maybe not too cold, but cold enough, if that makes sense. Okay, that's fair. Like, that is where I'm at very much so right now. Like, I, w- I, I got the Midwest blood rolling okay. through me. Dad's okay. from Michigan, so the the South has gotten me a little bit, but still, um, I'm pretty I'm pretty tolerant to the cold. See, I'm all for, like, heat and uh, growing up in the South, living in Georgia, which is very similar to South Carolina weather-wise, like... If it's 100 degrees, I'm like, yeah, it's is what it is. It is like, yeah. I'm just kind of used to it. No, see, I'm I'm as far, like, put me in 50-degree weather all the time, and I'm going to be happy for the most part, for the most part. Well, one thing that fall weather signals is football weather and certainly maybe it makes for some better experiences out and watching games, especially at Williams-Brice Stadium when it is not 100 degrees. Um, now, that, that's the funny thing is, you know, we're having – or we're going to be obviously – on the road at Tennessee this upcoming weekend for a night game. Uh, Florida in two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know the kickoff time for that because you have the bye week in between. Like maybe we'll actually avoid that like hundred or ninety five degree home game for once this year. It's actually been kind of terrifying. Like because I know there's one coming. Like you're waiting for. Like yeah. oh it's gonna come. And Beamer like, made a joke yesterday at the press conference. Like oh we're gonna have a like a noon game eventually or like a day would- game eventually. You would think that's the thing that I think a lot of coaches, especially in the South, they're like, "We'll take our night games early. That way, we don't have to play night games when it's forty-five, yeah. fifty degrees outside." And I know people in the Midwest here that can go forty-five, fifty. Well, but so, for us, like, so the 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 Big Ten had a rule for the longest time that really just kind of went away with this NBC deal that they would not play night games in November. Or at least most of the schools wouldn't because when you're in Michigan, Ohio, Minnesota, places yes. like that. 
it's pretty darn cold anyway, especially when the sun goes down. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, but when <laughs> I just love it where it's like, we're going to let TV make all of our decisions. And then TV starts to make decisions. And they're like, well, can TV not make all of our decisions, please? It's like, well, make decisions that we like. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. We didn't think it was going to be this bad of a decision. So we would like for you to make different decisions. But, but looking at it from South Carolina's perspective, and, you know, if South Carolina can go out there and pick up a win this weekend uh, against Tennessee and improve to 3-2, and two, and Florida can continue to just have one loss by the time October 14th rolls around, there's a chance that could also be a night game, you know, ESPN, SC Network, whatever it may be. And then your next home game is not until Jacksonville State, November 4th, and that has a very high likelihood of being a nooner, I would say. But ooh, uh, Or do we get SEC purgatory for that one? Ooh, the mysterious 4 o'clock kick. Yeah, the mysterious... I'll have to look at what the lineup for that day is. Um, Jay brought up a really good point yesterday. This weekend, and then I believe it's November the 11th, are the two only two Saturdays this year with a full slate of seven SEC games. Huh. Interesting. Because, I mean, obviously next weekend you start having bye weeks like South Carolina has. Everybody has at least one more cupcake mixed in there. And, of course, rivalry week. Yeah, At the end of the year Saturday you have a whole, whole mix. Um, so the same week South Carolina plays Florida, you got Auburn LSU that okay. feels like a 7 or a 330. That's like a, definitely like a 7 ESPN type thing. Yeah. Now it does – and look, Auburn's not going to beat Georgia this weekend. What? <laughs> I know, shocking, right? Unless the miracles on the plane suddenly start happening again. Weird stuff happens in Auburn, Alabama, though. It does, but typically it happens at like night – in Auburn, oh, I is feel this like, like a noon kick. Well, no, it is the three thirty CBS kick. Ooh, but like typically, and one thing that I'm definitely gonna miss about CBS no longer being the uh, game of the week in the in the SEC. Once you get late in the season, especially after the time change in October, when like three thirty, you have like literally a day game and a night game in one. Where after halftime, it's usually like dark lights come on and the game kind of takes on this whole different like. Feeling aesthetic. I don't want to. Uh, I just want to put this bug in your ear. Okay. Let's project ahead. Okay. South Carolina beats Tennessee. Sure. Which is fair. Uh, they're not favored, but you could very much see a possibility of them beating Tennessee. Which, by the way, do you think that spreads a little high? I do. Yeah. Well, when you have Dan Ugla back there, man, you never know. Um, I mean, Dan Ugla references you're going to get in this week. So many. So many. Over, under. <laughs> yes. Tonight, yeah. Uh, Florida beats Kentucky. Okay. Which weekend. I think that's That's feasible. a fair. Yeah, that's very fair. fair. CBS 330. Ooh, interesting. Now, what's the other, what's you got, the other game that week? Game you got that Arkansas, Alabama. Okay. Yeah. Auburn, LSU. Okay. That feels like a night game. It does. In Death Valley. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The only one that I could see being competition is Georgia at Vanderbilt. I'm joking. That's a joke. Yeah, that's not going <laughs> to happen. I just watched your, like, the gears turn your head. He's like, yeah, no, yeah. That, uh, that's, that screams no. neuter to me. Yeah, Missouri at Kentucky. That feels SEC purgatory. Yeah, for but, sure. But if Kentucky, if Missouri wins this weekend, whoever they play, and Kentucky beats Florida. Because does Missouri play, is it this weekend they play LSU? Or is it play Vanderbilt? Right. Um, but then A&M, Tennessee. So there's Ooh. a very real possibility you could get the 330 if things go right for South Carolina and Florida this weekend because this game gets announced Monday. Right. So. Well, here's the crazy thing. The SEC has been so kind of 
I don't want to say completely unpredictable, but it's been a little bit uh, surprising this year. So there's no overwhelmingly great team. There's not, and even Georgia having their struggles in the first half against opponents. Um, you know, they don't look like a national champion right now. Alabama, obviously, with that loss to Texas and a questionable game against South Florida, I would say they definitely came back to form this past weekend against Ole Miss. Yep. Um, but yeah, like even LSU shown cracks in the armor against LSU, nearly lost to Arkansas this past weekend. Like the the SEC is is not not the dominant force we usually expect it to be, at least through four weeks of the season. I mean, you've seen it. LSU lost to Florida State. South Carolina's lost to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia's played with its food a lot this year. I mean, I'm just scrolling through. Alabama's got quarterback problems. Uh, LSU got drubbed by Florida State yep. and then struggled with Arkansas. At home, by the way. Yeah. Um, as you scroll through the top 25, like Ole Miss, they're not a top 25 caliber opponent. Tennessee's been weird. Florida's been weird. Missouri's probably the best story, but you know, if you put them up against Alabama tomorrow, do you think that Missouri beats Alabama? No, but you know what's going to be really funny about that is I just checked. They do play Vanderbilt this weekend, and next weekend is when they play LSU. At LSU, right? Uh, I think it might be in Como. That's a weird... Uh, no, it's in Como. That's a weird... And it's a noon game. <laughs> a noon game between a potentially top 15 LSU, and if Missouri beats Vanderbilt this weekend, and a couple other teams in front of them lose, they're going to be in the top 20 as well. Yeah. Well, let's think about this. Like, Oregon State and Ole Miss are 19 and 20 yes in the ap poll neutral field tomorrow Ooh, who do you take oh man because i'm mm. taking the beeves it's it's a tight game i'll say that much um i might lean a little bit more Ole miss but i would not be shocked if oregon state wins all right washington state is 16 Tennessee's 21st neutral field? Who do you take? Oh, I'd probably go with Washington State. <laughs> right, like the the middle of the pack in in the SEC isn't as head and shoulders above everyone else that you've come to expect maybe over the course of the last sure five or six years. Well, and there's certainly a lot of reasons for that. I think the transfer portal certainly factors into that, and we, we've talked about this before. You know, there's a reason that Alabama's not as dominant as it once was because, you know, Nick Saban doesn't have the ability to hoard five-star talent for three years saying, mm-hmm. hey, if you wait around, play one year, I'll send you to the NFL. He'd be like, hey, I want to play now. You didn't get me on the field this year. I'm going to go wherever else. Right. I'm going to go to LSU. I'm going to go to Texas. I'm going to go to um, Florida State, whatever, because you can. Yes, and you don't have to wait and sit out a year because you're an undergrad, which There's that no was— penalty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a thing for a long time that deterred a lot of people. It's like, well, I can transfer, but I have to sit out a year, and there, you know, I could, you know, lose my spot in the pecking order, and people are gonna forget about me, and all that kind of stuff. Like that's not a thing anymore, unless you're trying to have a second transfer while you're still an undergrad. Then we obviously right. know the problems there. Right, and to uh, the SEC has a quarterback issue. Oh yeah, right now, um, you I have mean, quarterbacks that are playing at a really high level, like. It, Spencer Rattler, like Jane Daniels, but you just don't have that top ten surefire pick in this upcoming draft. Let me let me put it this way: I think we can safely say that Spencer Rattler and Jaden Daniels are the two best quarterbacks in the SEC right now. 
Yeah. If we put them at tier one, do you put anybody else up there with them? Maybe Jackson Dart. But even this like, weekend, eh. And like, but there's, it, it's such a weird, because like that tier, the second tier is now Brady Cook, Jackson Dart. Yeah. Joe Milton. Car- Joe Milton, Carson Beck, mm-hmm. Devin Leary. I put KJ Jefferson tier one. Yeah. I'm a big KJ Jefferson fan. I, I I could I could see that. That makes sense. But when you go from that, and no disrespect to any guy on this list, you go from that, you had Bryce Young last year. You had you've gone from Joe Burrow, Bryce Young, Tua, Mac, um, Mac Jones. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones that they've had. I mean, yeah, whatever it, you it, want to say about Will Lovis and Anthony sure. Richardson, but like on a typically year-to-year basis you can look at the sec and say okay there's at least like maybe four to five nfl caliber quarterbacks here and we obviously saw a lot of that this you know last year and then you come into this season it's like okay like yeah daniels and and rattler which both those guys and we've talked about rattler certainly helped himself out a lot but even then we're talking kind of mid-tier rounds right now like nobody's like this guy's definitely gonna be a first round pick or something like that which is kind of a weird thing to say about the SEC where you don't have like a definitive like far and away better quarterback than everybody else right I mean last year's which class is better in terms of the top three in yards per attempt Brady Cook Jackson Dart Jaden Daniels this year yep or Hendon Hooker Stetson Bennett Bryce Young last year <laughs> I'm gonna give a nod to the last year what about 2021 with Stetson Bennett Hendon Hooker and KJ Jefferson uh uh I'd comparable say, I'm gonna put that in the middle of the three mm-hmm. classes 2020, Mac Jones, Matt Corral, Kyle Trask. Ooh. Like, mm. all of those guys are still in NFL rosters. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, where, Where'd Corral end up? Ooh, he was with was he with the Patriots? He was with the Panthers for a while. I think he's with the Patriots now. That's right. Um, Trask is backing up Baker down in Tampa. Yeah. 2019, Joe Burrow, Jarrett Garitano, whew, and then Kyle <laughs> Trask. <laughs> There's a name. <laughs> this is Remember him? Oh, just wait, this entire yards per attempt among qualified passers is fantastic. Burrow, Garitano, Kyle Trask, Matt Corral, Kelly Bryant, Garrett Schrader, Jake Fromm, Kellen Mond, Bo Nix, Riley Neal, John Rice Plumley, and then Ryan Holinsky. Wow. What a what a group. That was twenty nineteen. That was nineteen. Yeah. That was uh Nix's was that his freshman year? Yeah, his freshman year mm-hmm. of his eighty seven years in college football. Yes. Uh, not seeing Tua on this list, by the way. Interesting. Hmm. We'll, uh, we'll we'll take a look at that more a little bit later and uh, hear what Beamer had to say yesterday in his presser as we set for Tennessee this upcoming weekend, coming up Saturday night at 7.30. You're listening to In the Bonus. He is Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head. You're on the game. Bonus bonus with Colin Taylor Taylor from from Gamecock Central and Tyler Head. Powered by Twin Peaks and Canty Foundation Specialists on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in... In the bonus, he's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head. On your Wednesday morning, remind you, Tommy Moody show coming up tonight at 6 o'clock. Wednesdays and Fridays at 6 o'clock. 
right here on the game as Tommy takes you into the vault of History of Carolina Sports, sponsored as always by Midlands Lawn and Landscape. Uh, yesterday, Coach Beamer had his weekly press conference, as always sponsored by Wine Pools and Spas, we had for you here on 107.5 The Game, speaking on a number of things. And one thing that I feel like he gave a really good and detailed answer on was the running back situation. And obviously, Mario Anderson got a bulk of the carries this past weekend and really finally got the ground game going. But a lot of questions about to carry on Joyner as well and what his potential future is at the running back spot. Here is what Coach Beamer had to say yesterday about the running backs. Yeah, I think he continues to get better and, and progress. There's no question about it. Uh, he did a really nice job in uh, blitz pickup the other night. Really all of our running backs did, him and DK. I mean, you look at the first touchdown that we threw to Leggett, they brought pressure in the line, and I think it was the carry-on, got a little bit of leakage, and he sat in there and firmed up the pocket for us to throw the ball. And, and – um, and then uh, Mario did a nice job of that as well. So the blitz pickup, it's not as simple as just sit back there and if somebody comes, you take them. I mean, your eyes can be here or there. You may be responsible for four guys on a play. So learning that, the pass catching out of the backfield, he's just continued to, to work. Frankly, a lot of the game, a couple of the games where we got behind North Carolina mainly, it turned into a passing, passing game and not really his – I shouldn't say not his thing, but – from a pass protection standpoint, we had some other guys in there in that instance. And then the other thing, too, is let's make sure that we're not like uh, – um, make sure we realize that the carry-on joiner has done some really good things as well. The carry-on joiner had a touchdown run the other night where we completely whiffed and didn't even block the linebacker on the goal line. And he had to lower his shoulder and run through arguably one of, if not the best linebacker in the SEC – unblocked and the carry on got under his pads and drove that guy into the end zone for a touchdown because for some reason we decided not to block the front side linebacker and on the back side we let a backside penetration come through um and where we should have been hitting the backfield and the carry on took a play that was broken because we didn't execute properly and turned it into a touchdown so the carry on has done some really good things as well and will continue to the rest of the year as he gets more and more comfortable at running back and then uh, mario obviously gives us a, an added element with his physical style of running and what he did saturday night also so obviously a lot of praise there for mario anderson who again 88 yards on the ground finally gets the first touchdown as a Gamecock, you know, and again, really got the running game going, but definitely, you know, right there at the middle when he starts talking about the carry on joiner, definitely still taking up for him. And, you know, he's still going to have an important role on this offense from a running back standpoint. And we've talked about it already this week, where while the carry on joiner may not be as good naturally running the ball up the middle between the tackles, that kind of thing, he can still catch out of the backfield. And as Coach Beamer pointed out there, still really good at pass protection, which Mario Anderson is coming along with. It's not necessarily where it needs to be right now. That's something that carry on Jonah is very good at. And given the clip that they're throwing the ball at, definitely something that's going to be needed. Yeah, the most interesting part of that quote was when Beamer started to talk about the, the carry on Joyner aspect of it and really hammering home, hey, he's good. He's fine. He's still like learning the position to a degree. Sure. I think Beamer likes where this running back room is heading. Does that mean you're going to look up in four years and be like Wisconsin where it's like, man, we have Monty Ball and these guys all in the same running back room? Probably not. But it's a room that can turn into a more serviceable place and a more efficient running game than what it has been maybe through the first four weeks. Right. I think that that's a, 
that's something that and, Beamer was really emphasizing. And, and, and I think this is almost kind of really the perfect scenario, something that you, I guess, kind of hoped would have happened, that the guy that is a natural running back that's played the position for a long time comes along early on in the season where you can rely on him to run between the tackles. And again, he's still developing in, as far as the pass protection and stuff going. But where on Jordan doesn't have to be out there on every single play or getting a bulk of the carries because, again, it's not his natural thing necessarily, but you can use him in spots when it comes to you know, dump off passes, screens, those kind of things that we know he's obviously good at and has the hands and the athleticism for, as well as pass protection that we talked about, which he certainly got, has the advantage over Anderson in that area, at least for right now. Yeah, and it's one thing to say, well, it's pass protection. He just has to hit the guy blitzing. Like, that. there's mm. a little bit more to it sure. than that. And Beamer even said, like, at some point, like, you might have four guys you're responsible for mm. on a play, depending on what kind of pressure they're showing, depending on kind of what, look they have and the protection we've called that's something that people don't realize where if like hey you're you're lined up to Spencer's let's say you're lined up to his right sure and pressure's coming off the left side but pressure but your eyes are to the right side looking at a a backer showing blitz that's going to ultimately back into coverage then all of a sudden you stay on that side of the field to then try and block a guy that's not coming, then that backside backer all of a sudden has all of the room in the world to, to come and rock Rattler. And then all of a sudden, yeah, you didn't whiff a block, but you weren't in the right spot. Your eyes weren't in the right well, spot. And that just comes with more reps. And I imagine that, and I don't know how good Mario Anderson was at pass protection when he was at Newberry, but there's definitely a learning curve for everything when you jump up from Division Two to Division One, but you're dealing with a whole lot better athletes, a whole lot faster athletes when it comes to pass protection at the Division One FBS level. So I think it's understandable that he's taking a little bit of time to adjust to that, especially now that you've actually started playing, you know, SEC opponents, Georgia, Mississippi State this past weekend. You're going to see great athletes on Tennessee's defense as well. Like it's understandable that there was going to be a learning curve there for Mario Anderson. Um, the first linebacker I see listed on Newberry's athletics roster. <laughs> okay. 5'11", 227. Let's keep scrolling. Yeah. Um, linebacker, 5'10", 200. 5'10", or 6'1", 215. Uh, 5'8", 200. 6'1", 220. 510-180, Pup Howard, 6'4", 241. Yeah, uh, even Debo Williams on the smaller side is 6'1", 232. Stone Blanton is 6'2", 232. Bigger dudes, stronger dudes, faster dudes, more athletic dudes. And that's no disrespect to Newberry, but... No, there's, is... a, there's a reason those guys play at the division two level right and if you wa if you watch my sister went to west georgia which is division two school and so i national power if i'm not mistaken they weren't back then they lost a lot of games when yeah. she was there so Fair. starts difference uh compared to today but i would watch some of their games and like my dad and i talked about this one time like watching one of their, their games like you're always waiting for those guys to like kick it into the next gear right and take off you're like oh that's as fast as they go right like oh this is what this is the difference between division one and division two and you can prepare and prepare and prepare and practice but it's another thing when the bullets are flying live 
you don't know the other guy's tendencies the same level you do with Debo Williams or whatever. But it's one of those things where you're it's an adjustment. And that's something that's not a knock on Mario, that's not a knock on anyone. It's just saying that sometimes it's not put in oven and you immediately get an L S E C running back. Sure. Sometimes it takes times and every and it's just it's different. Like right. it's different for each person. Uh, we'll hear more of what Coach Beamer had to say coming up. Uh, he talked a little bit about Dow Loggins and his play calling through these first couple of games. That's coming up. Listen to in the bonus. He's Colin Taylor. I'm Tyler Head. You're on the game. Well, welcome back in. In the bonus, Colin Taylor, Tyler Head, along with you, reacting to what we heard from Coach Beamer yesterday in his weekly press conference head of the Tennessee game coming up Saturday night. Of course, we'll hear from coordinators a little bit later on today. This Last week was Pete Limbo week, so we won't hear from Limbo today, correct? We'll see. I don't believe so, but you it's know, an every other week thing, right? It's usually an every other week. Okay, well, we, we at least know for sure we're going to hear from Clayton White and, of course, Dow Loggins. Uh, Coach Beamer did speak about Coach Loggins yesterday as we've gotten a fair sample size through four games of Dow Loggins and his play calling with the South Carolina offense. And let's hear what Coach Beamer had to say about it. Yeah, very pleased. First of all, it starts with Spencer and the way that Spencer's playing, and Dow has a lot to do with that, just the relationship that those two guys have and the way that they've connected and work um, together. Uh, Dow, obviously, you know, with the fact that he's been a um, he's been a coordinator in the NFL, his understanding of just offense, defense, every position on offense has been really good too because, you know, he understands um, – uh, what he wants at the receiver position, the offensive line position, the tight end position, uh, quarterback, running back, you name it. So he's got great feel for all those positions. And I think he's done a great job of putting our players in positions to to be successful. We, we have a lot of carryover each and every week. We have new game plan specific things each week. And I think he and the entire offensive staff have done a really good job of uh, – of uh, you know putting a plan together each week that gives us the best chance to be successful uh, based on the team we're playing, but then also you know what we do too well or what we do well also. You know, I've never asked you this, Colin. When Coach Loggins got hired back in December, there was a lot mm-hmm. of skepticism from a lot of different people, and rightfully so, given you know Dow Loggins' reputation as a play caller in the NFL, which wasn't great, and you can right. look at the numbers to back that up. What what did you think when that hire was made? Hmm. I was skeptical. Certainly skeptical. Uh, now, did Beamer call you out in that press conference? Not me, but not he. You. But he was. He went. That was, all, that was an all-timer. That, that was, was an all-timer Beamer press conference. He had an agenda I, when he came in that oh, day. That was one where, like, it was, did not matter what question you were going to ask. He was ready to go with what he wanted to talk about. Were you all kind of like looking at each other? Like it was one of those where, like, wow, yeah. Uh I certainly thought it was incredibly risky. Like okay. that was my that was my big thing is like you're coming off two of the best wins in program history. Mm-hmm. You have all this momentum, and sorry, I said they say a Suzuki dropped falls on ESPN. I wasn't going to bring um, that up. No, I didn't want to. But you had all this momentum. You had all this, a bit, you know, just ability and then you go out and hire someone that was relatively unknown to South Carolina to college football it wasn't it was not a flashy name no it was not a flashy name and um I I was just like 
in personal opinion, like, you know, you could have gone out and gotten a bigger name, certainly. Um, maybe more proven track record in college, proven track record as a play caller, period. Um, and gone from there. But, I mean, it's been, I, I don't, I think it's been really good. Yeah. So far, given what you had, given what's in the cupboard right now, especially. Yeah. And when you look, the offensive line has certainly come along. We know it was mm-hmm. pretty abysmal in that first week. And you really have not having it, had an established run game until this past weekend against Mississippi State. But that being said, Spitzer Rattler's played out of his mind. This is the best he's looked, certainly in his time at South Carolina. And certainly, you know, you can make an argument that this was as good as he looked when he was at Oklahoma and, you know, getting the Heisman consideration and being thought of as one of the top picks in the NFL draft before obviously losing his job to to Caleb Williams. There's just something about this uh, relationship those two have that clicks. And Dal Loggins talked about the entire offseason. We're going to build the offense around what Spence Rattler is good at, what his skill set is. And, of course, that's what every offensive coordinator is going to say what else would they say no we're going to build it around the third string guy no that's not going to happen like he said all the right things but now we're seeing it really come to fruition this was the Spencer Rattler that we thought we were going to see a year ago at the start of the season that unfortunately took about 10 games to really get going but once he got rolling funny enough in the Tennessee game he's been pretty much on ever since yeah and his last seven games like dating back to last year it's been great but I mean just when you talk about Rattler, just the confidence he has, and I think a lot of that ties to Dowell Loggins. Uh, when you talk about the you're using using Xavier Leggett correctly, like that's that's my thing. You're doing smart things offensively, right? How many times have they been called? A lot of their penalties have been pre-snap, mm-hmm. false starts. I mean, stuff that. Coach, at some point, some guy's going to flinch. Like of course. You, that you can't coach that out yeah. of somebody to Part the, of it. the level. Uh, but how many times has there been, like, an illegal formation? You know, how many times has there been you're having to call a timeout offensively because you have the wrong personnel grouping out there? Like, it's more streamlined. They look well-coached. It's It's been as good of a start for Dowell Loggins as I think you can have. And take away the... You know, you can look at the points and all that, but when you just the eye test, it looks so much better than last year. It's less clunky, it's more efficient. Um, still, plenty to clean up. Do not get mm-hmm. me wrong, but I think that, especially given what he's working with, given some of the limitations they had early with the offensive line, you feel really good about where this offense is heading under Dowell Loggins, especially this year, and, and looking ahead to what you're bringing in with this class too. You mentioned it being less clunky, and it certainly does pass the eye test when you look at mm-hmm. it from you know just how it flows through the game and it feels like everything just kind of naturally goes one play to the next to the next to the next to the next and he has a good idea again d- despite kind of what he's working with with some inefficiencies on the offensive line and uh at the running back spot at least until this past week and like he's made do with what he's with what he's had and um again when you have a guy like Spencer Rattler that we know has all the talent in the world and all the potential in the world to be great uh, he's really gotten the most out of him through four games Spencer Rattler Again, let's take take out the second half against Georgia, okay, where he was getting lit up, and Georgia was just dialing up pressure after pressure after pressure. He was 89 of 104. That is an 86% completion percentage, roughly, mm-hmm. 85.6. He's thrown for 1,100 yards, seven touchdowns, and no interceptions while averaging 10.9 yards per an attempt. Wow. 
That's really good. Very good. That's really good. And even when you take into consideration the game against Georgia, where you take into account everything, he's still on pace to have the best, the best passing season in program history. He's on pace, like, again, on pace. There's an article on Gamecock Central about it, like, but he's he's averaging 9.7 yards an attempt. This is an explosive offense, and they're not asking him to do too much. They're asking him to go to the right spot with the ball and then push it downfield from time to time. Right. That's all he's being asked to do. Um, And when you do all of those things, you're getting the season he's had right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, you're going up against a Tennessee team this weekend that kind of similar to last year, I wouldn't say has the most lockdown defense in the world. And while Florida didn't necessarily – have to do too much in the passing games. They were more of a run-heavy team. You certainly feel like this can be another weekend where uh, Spencer Rattler and Dow Loggins can take advantage of a questionable secondary in, in Tennessee and hopefully put up a lot more yards. Got to protect. You have to protect because Tennessee, the one thing Tennessee is really good at defensively is rushing the passer. Mm-hmm. That is something that Tennessee takes a lot of pride in and something that can really affect. Now, granted, they, again, They have not played a lot of great teams early. but They have 74 pressures, 74 through the first four games with 17 sacks per PFF, 13 quarterback hits, and 44 hurries. You're going to have to protect. You are going to have to protect Spencer Rattler more than anything on the planet or scheme up ways to protect him, if that makes sense. Because if not, then it could be a long day. Absolutely. And uh, again, coming up Saturday night, 7.30 between the Gamecocks and the Volunteers. You can listen to right here on the game. We'll have pregame coverage starting for you at 2.30 with Gamecocks Game Day. Myself and Terry Ford broadcasting live at O'Hara's out in Lexington. We'll have a watch party coming up on Saturday night at 7.30 for the game out there at O'Hara's as well. Uh, We'll take a step outside of football for a moment uh, as we have a new commitment for the class of 2025 for South Carolina men's basketball we'll hit on that coming up you're listening to in the bonus he's colin taylor tyler head on the game welcome back in it is in the bonus he's colin taylor i'm tyler head here on the game on your wednesday morning again plenty of football to talk about as the week goes along getting closer and closer to carolina and tennessee squaring off on saturday night but we determined yesterday is it six weeks until college basketball believe something it or like not that, yeah something like that early november mm-hmm. Uh, when things get rolling there. So as uh, we're, what, October's this Sunday, believe it or not. So we'll be there before you know it. Of course, uh, the guys getting back on the hardwood just the other day and some news coming down yesterday about a new member of the 2025 class for South Carolina, Hayden Asimian. Am I saying that right? Yes, Asimian. Commits to the Gamecocks, a three-star player, uh, second in the state of South Carolina, 150th overall in the class of 2024. 2025, excuse me. Really good get for South Carolina. Like a really good get for South Carolina. Someone that has played, was a football, basketball guy for a really long time. Started to focus solely on basketball recently and has just kind of burst onto the scene. Um, NC State was about to go watch him practice. Clemson was about to go watch him practice. Virginia Tech was kicking the tires. And it literally was a two-week, longer than that, but, like, 
he got on campus for the Furman football game weekend, mm-hmm. picked up an offer, came back Friday, committed sat like this most recent Friday, committed on Saturday, announced on Tuesday. Like wow, I mean, that is fast. Boom, 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 boom. Now he'd been building a relationship over the summer with co- the coaching staff and all that, but sure. it was literally just like boom, 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 boom. I'm wrapped, and I have this is where I want to be, kind of thing, which is good for South Carolina to start this 25 class strong because he has a chance to move up these rankings too. And he talked a lot about Coach Paris, just kind of liking his personality, his demeanor, his laid backness. Now, of course, you know we know that Coach. Uh, Paris, once he gets into actually coaching at practice and in games, stuff like that, he's as intense as anybody. But mm-hmm. his his day to day demeanor seems to be very laid back, very relaxed, which seemed to be appealing for uh, Simeon here. Yeah, give I mean give Lamont Paris credit. They identified him early in the process. They were at every single game this summer uh, watching him play. They were at you know I mean, just everything, and it's. It's a testament to the hard work that they put in to just make it happen. And, yeah, he loves Coach Paris. He loves, you know, what South Carolina was selling him on the scheme and the system and playing close to home and all that fun stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, you're now in this 2025 class and you've off to, you're have you off to a, a doggone good start if you're South Carolina um, and with plenty of room to, to maneuver and move up because there's a lot of good things to, to like about this 25 class for the Gamecocks. Now, what's, if anything, the significance of him going from Legacy to Powdersville? Nothing crazy. Um, I think he's from Powdersville originally, so just going back to there, and he's just going back to playing in his home state thing, and yeah. Six foot eight, 220 pounds. What, uh, was, he a, was he a tight end in, when he played football? I believe he was a quarterback. Six foot eight quarterback. He's he had a growth spurt. Okay, he's six eight. Say. He's six eight. I got to update a height and weight from him yesterday. Okay, he is six eight two twenty five. Okay, so he didn't have any trouble seeing the street on a past line of scrimmage. I imagine. No, if something tells me that, uh, yeah, he um he was a pretty doggone good quarterback too. I'm sure he was. Um, as and look, two thousand twenty five. We're talking a, a couple years away still, and it's mm-hmm. so hard to project roster movement with transfer portals and stuff like that, but looking ahead from where we sit right now, how do you see him sliding into this roster and what his role can be? A lot's going to depend because he's so... New's not the right word, but he's just started to focus on basketball full-time recently, so I think the sky's the limit for what he can be. Big, physical, rebounder, versatile, good defensively, can sit down and defend... Um, you know, that gets you, like, scoring's great, but the other stuff gets you on the court quickly when you can defend and when you can do those things. I mean, he can absolutely, I think, chisel out a role. Does that mean he's going to be playing 25, 30 minutes a game? Who knows? But, I mean, he's going to chisel out a role, I think, early because of his physicality, which I hate that word. <laughs> he's a big dude. He's strong. Uh, and he's someone that, can do a lot of different things for you on the court and defend different positions and score in the paint and do the stuff you need to do. And when all of those things boil together, that's at worst a rotational guy for you um, if, you, if you're South Carolina. Now for uh, somebody like him who, again, obviously a couple years away in the 2025 class, like with him now being committed to South Carolina, you obviously talked about NC State showing some interest. 
what is and certainly his his uh his ratings can continue to go of as well over these next couple of years i mean do you think being committed to a program in the sec how much more interest does that or more, more spotlight does that put on him now going forward i mean a lot anytime you commit to an sec program in basketball football whatever more eyes are going to be on you um talking to him yesterday this seemed very much like i'm done like shut it down i'm ready to start recruiting for south carolina i'm ready to get in the fold and and you know I, if i could be there tomorrow i could be or i want to be kind of thing so one of those where he i think he is locked in uh and now he gets to kind of develop and not worry about anything else and just kind of focus on um playing ball because he has a chance to be really good and if you're south carolina you want to see him continue to develop because if he does if he continues on this trajectory there's a chance he could be a, a top 100 kid potentially uh by when all is said and done kind of like a colin murray boils you get him you now colin murray boils should play basketball for a while but sure. you know you see the skill you see the the raw talent there but he's kind of got some baby fat to him kind of a little overweight but you see it and the the thought was man if we could just get the body right then all of a sudden, he could click. He goes to Wasatch, cuts like 25 pounds, and all of a sudden, he's athletic, he's dunking, he's doing all this stuff, and you're like, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, and and now Colin Murray Boyles, if things continue to go on the trajectory they're going, you know, could he start a couple games? Sure. Uh, is he going to play a lot for this team? Absolutely, and that's kind of the a Simeon thing just from a playing organized basketball consistently if he can continue on that trajectory top 100 kid potentially with the chance to come in and, and chisel out a role early for the south carolina program do you want to know how many days until the start of basketball nope, i don't we're okay. good we I'll, are I'll, good i'll save you from that yeah but please thank you the the yeah, six week, the six week estimate is is pretty spot on i'll just say that much mm. so you can do the math there yeah media day next week potentially okay all tentatively scheduled so getting closer and closer yep all right, that'll do, that'll do it for today's edition of In the Bonus. We're actually going to be out at Steel Hands Brewing tomorrow morning. So that'll be fun. Uh, as, again, we get closer and closer to Carolina and Tennessee coming up on Saturday night. Extra point coming up next, right here on The Game. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 